finished. So I summarized some things. I thought that uh, Dan and company might be here. He likes he likes this kind of stuff. And uh, anyhow, we got a bunch of slides. But before we do that, it's always nice to have a story. You want to hear a story? Dick wants to hear a story. Real life story. Last year, long, long time ago. Everybody have a lawnmower? We know what lawnmowers are. Yeah. We got a lawnmower. It's a zero-turn mower. It's it weighs 950 pounds. It's 52 inch. You know, we have two acres, all that stuff. Okay, so last year we had one of the front. They're kind of caster tires. They're 11 inch. They're inflatable. They're small little tubeless tires, and it would get flat. Yeah, flat, got off the bead. Those things are really hard to get back on a bead. You have to have a lot of air pressure and all that stuff. So we took a discount tire and they said, it's dry rotting. I mean, the thing's 15 years old. It's dry rotting, so you have to replace it. Okay, guess we'll replace. Replace both of them, both front, front tires. And then they weigh about, I don't know, eight, 10 pounds a piece. They're not, I mean, they're, they're decent sized. So we did that, they got them in. Went back the next week, took the, took the tires, they got the rims, all that stuff, got them replaced. And the tire that had the, the issue that we dealt with first, it didn't seal. So we went back again, and again, and again, and again. How many times did we go back for? I don't know. It came to the point that we knew that if, we, if it lost all the air, because the thing is heavy, it would break the bead. And when it breaks the bead, I can't do anything with it because you need a huge amount of air to kind of reinflate the thing. So we ended up having to, we would jack up the front of the mower and put a jack stand underneath after we were done mowing because we figured, well, the tires are going to go flat, so you know how that goes. So the last time they fixed it, they said, we've got it fixed this time. It's, it's, it's working fine. So we went out to mow first, first time this year, right? I think it's the first, second time this year. Well, uh, we could go Saturday, Friday, Saturday. And guess what? The mow went to blow off the mower, and guess what? The tire's flat on the, it's flat off the, off the bead. Okay, back to discount tire. One more time. Make an appointment on Tuesday. So went back. This well, this long. I'm, I won't drag this out. But what did they, did they fix it? What do you think? Did they fix it or not? No, no, no confidence to clean it up really well inside where the where the seating surface is. And so we got back, and they got back, and well, it holds for ten minutes, maybe more. So we got home. I got home, and they had it forty pounds. At home, I don't know, thirty pounds. And I said, well, maybe it's holding better. So the next day, this is Wednesday morning, I looked at it, it was flat. We hadn't even put on the mower. I'm, like, I'm just going to look at it and see what it does. So I said, well, we buy a new rim. The, the disc guitar said, just buy a new rim. Well, they're not hard to, they're not easy to find. That one of that exact size with the right bearing and all that good stuff. Uh, anyways. So some people say, well, you can just put a, put a tube inside. 
make it a make it a tube tire. So I call up. Uh, we dealt with a place in Needville, which is you know thirty minutes from us. A little little town in uh, I guess right into Fort Bend County, and they they sell gravely mowers and echo and steel all that kind of stuff. A little mom and pop kind of thing. So I called him up and said, do you have an inner tube for this tire? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got one. Bring it by, bring it by around noon, noonish. So we bring it by. Well, actually, we, we take it, we figure, well, this thing isn't going to last. I can't mow. We have half the yard yet to mow. So we take it to this place, a little worn power, whatever. What's it called? No, it's a little, yeah. Small engine place, and they sell the nice stuff. So they look at the tire, the technician takes it, and I say, well, we can't get to seal, discount tire couldn't get to seal, blah, blah, blah. And you have, you have a tube, you're supposed to have a tube for it. The technician takes it. We're there about 50 minutes. I think it was his personal challenge. His personal challenge. And he came out said, here's the tire. I got to seal. He cleaned everything up, got the thing to seal, and I think it's still sealed. It's like a minor miracle. <laughs> he did what discount tire couldn't do. And so I, before I left the house, I got something. And this is kind of the moral of the story. This goes along with what Dick, Dick has. We got one of these 101 best one-liners. You've seen these, right? I'm so glad that I had one. Because you know, after 50 minutes of work, and what do you think he charges? This is a technician. I mean, the owner's sitting there. I mean, this is a, you know, kind of a family thing. How much? $50? What do you think, Matt? Five. Five. Zero. Oh, Zero. Zero. He said, give us, think of us next time you need some business. That is like a minor miracle just these days yeah. with companies the way they are. So I was so glad I had one of these to give him. And I thanked him. He said, oh, I like these things. I like the, the one-liners and such. And so, so we had one to give him, and he liked it. I will tell people that 90% of what's in here you've never heard before. So I threw out the, you know, early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And some of those, and what, 99% of lawyers give the other 1% a bad name. Things, things like that. So, so give these out. I know Dick has his million-dollar bills that he's given out. So... Oh, Spanish even. Oh, okay. Both. Okay. <laughs> and this has the good editorial, and of course it got the it's got the Ray Comfort questions. Are you a good person? That kind of stuff. Just like I think your hundred your million dollar bill has the same same thing. So anyhow, this is these are great for people that sit around a long time. They just have time on their hands. They can take it and start reading because it gets them interested. If they keep reading, they'll read everything. So, anyways, I just want to pass on that little story 
But hopefully our mower is fixed. But we're so glad that <laughs> we don't have to go through all that. And that I'll, that's the only, I won't tell you any more stories, but that's a story. So overpopulation, we talked about this last time. And let's see, see if we can, it works. I threw this in there, said, there's a war on. How many of these are, are we society trying to change? All of them? I mean, the enemy wants to fight against the unchangeable traits. I just thought it was interesting to kind of consider it and think about it. And but now people don't even know what their gender is. That that just I don't know. If my dad was still here, I don't know what he would say. It's just it's just incomprehensible where we have gone. Time and history. I don't know how you can change your time and history, but I guess you can change history. Yeah, ethnicity. Yeah, and try it. Those are unchangeable. And we're not going to change it. No one's going to change it. No matter. Yeah. Our mental capacity. <laughs> okay, well, we had this slide last time. This is uh, Paul Ehrlich. They brought him back to 60 Minutes back a month ago or so. And he came out with this overpopulation myth back in 1970. He said large areas of the coastline have to be evacuated because of the stench of dead fish. Because of animal life in the sea will be extinct. That announced uh, the world, the 21st century would be one of poverty and mass starvation because of overpopulation. So, and he's been wrong over and over, and we had that several times ago, but over and over and over. They still bring him back. Don't know why. He's still, he's still back. So what does God say? God bless them, saying, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the waters and the seas. Let the fowl multiply in the earth. Children are heritage of the Lord. The fruit of his womb is his reward. So God wants us to multiply. God said there is no overpopulation. There's no overpopulation. So I think as our group, we kind of brainstorm, we look at some ideas and said, well, what, how, are we, how is society of the world, the enemy trying to depopulate us? We threw out some ideas. Certainly abortion. And as we, the previous slide, the propaganda. You know, there's so much propaganda out there. Even back, remember the basic seminar when... Mr. Gothard was say, you know, how many children are you supposed to have? And they said, oh, two is perfect. And so he'd kind of, he'd take the piece of paper and bend it over and try to get people's minds bended a little bit. 
where we talked about global warming and what the, the I remember years ago you say, well, a child costs $250,000 to raise. I never saw it. <laughs> I don't think Hewlin saw $250,000 per child. They'd be broke. They'd be, <laughs> they'd be bankrupt. World's too evil. We were that when we had children in a previous church. Oh, you don't bring children in this world? It's too evil. Running out of space. The world is running out of space. And the CO2, well, you mentioned that was Bill Gates. He said that if we do really good on new vaccines, healthcare, and reproductive health services, we can reduce CO2 by reducing the number of people by 10 to 15%. That was his quote. There's a YouTube video that has that, has that quote, him saying that. So ways that that, that happens. And here were some of the, I don't know if you can see that, but there were some people went out and kind of looked Looked at some examples. There are seven or eight billion people on the earth. It says theoretically, every person in the world could fit in the state of Texas. Each person would have 1,056 square feet of living space. Everybody could fit in Texas. that if all the people on the earth could comfortably fit in Texas, imagine all the room if they were spread out evenly over, say, all of Africa. And it said the, uh, it's one acre per person, excluding the Sahara Desert. Exclude the desert where no one's going to live, you still get an acre per person where everybody lives in Africa. Lots of room. Very bogus claim. The people just don't want to do any math anymore, actually listen or think. That God's not made a mistake of putting too many people on the earth. That did not happen. Next one. These are the... Has anybody looked at this anymore? The Georgia Guidestones? Anybody knew that before? Heard that before we talked about that last time? These are stones that were put up in Georgia back in 1980 or so. And in various languages, uh, those 10 items are written on there. I won't go through them all. But you can just glance at them and say, okay, number one, humanity should be under, under 500 million people. That was the number one. And the rest of them are all globalist-type points, all bogus claims. So we talked about one of the overpopulation, one of the reasons that there was a ruler years ago that became very uncomfortable with the population. Said, we gotta, we gotta limit this population. 
And someone said when man wants to change history, he usually uses a battle or a ballot. When God wants to change history, he begins with a, sending a baby. So something a little bit different. A baby. And it's on this, this side. There we go. Exodus. Exodus. When the king says, we didn't know Joseph, what did the king say? So it said Exodus opens about 300 years after the close of Genesis. The original 70 Israelites had multiplied to a great multitude of nearly 2 million. And the Pharaoh got very nervous that they could take over. So the new Pharaoh greatly feared the power of the developing nation and gave orders that, as we all know, all male children, Hebrew children, you know, cast in the river. And Moses was born. And Moses was not only saved, but as we know the story that his mother was hired to raise him. And something that was kind of a humorous manifestation from, from God allowing that to happen. So Moses had his time in the wilderness, came back. So we had the various plagues. I thought it might be interesting to go through and just... There we go. First one. Turn the Nile into blood. It was a, a judgment against Apis, the god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Canum, guardian of the Nile. The Nile is also believed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, who was reborn each year when the river flooded. The river formed the basis of daily life, national economy. They lived and breathed the river. Millions of dead fish died in the river and the water was unusable. And Pharaoh was told, by this you will know that I am Lord. Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod in mine hand upon the waters that in the river shall turn to blood. That was the first plague. You remember the magicians had some kind of a a knockoff also, right? They, they had their own knockoff of that. There were a lot of occult, evil, but smart people back then, just like there are now. And a couple pictures that Dick mentioned to me. Where do you get these pictures from? So I actually found, the, I found that, that spot and grabbed a few pictures. So, so if anybody wants some biblical pictures, Dick has a website, or I have it on my phone somewhere. So you can get all these kind of pictures, which are interesting. So frogs and the Nile. Mm. Frogs were the next plague, right? The second plague, bringing frogs from the Nile, was a judgment against Hequet. The frog-headed goddess of birth. 
Frogs were thought to be sacred, not to be killed. Sounds like the sacred cow, doesn't it? The sacred frog? It's weird. God had the frogs invade every part of the homes of the Egyptians. When the frogs died, their stinking bodies were heaped up in offensive piles all through the land. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out of the houses, out of the village, out of the fields. They gathered them together upon heaps. The land stank. But God did protect Israelites. So frogs, you know that the frog was a sacred frog? The sacred frog. What was the third plague? Third and fourth were similar. The gnats. You know, a few gnats are annoying. Oh, I don't know what you could swarm of gnats. Well, that would be just awful, right? Awful. Third plague, gnats, was a judgment on Set, God of the desert. Unlike the previous plagues, the magicians were unable to duplicate this one and declared to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So from this time forward, the, the magicians could not duplicate anything. They gave up. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. So gnats. So next one was very similar. Flies. 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 Fourth plague, flies, a judgment on you shit, you chit, the fly god. In this plague, God clearly distinguished between the Israelites and the Egyptians as no swarms of flies bothered the areas the Israelites lived. And there are two miracles in one. You had a distinction. So God had made a distinction between his people and the other people. In Exodus 8, else... If thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, upon thy servants, and upon thy people, into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord, and as to the earth. I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. The Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies in the house of Pharaoh, to his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. Can you imagine a swarm of flies? So if you were an Israelite, what would you think? You out there see all those flies on your enemy, on the on those taskmasters that all of a sudden now you have to what, get your own straw. They won't provide straw for you. You got to make the bricks and God, all that extra work. Now they're getting inundated with flies, and you're not. It was interesting. I think we have time.
And Dick, some some months ago, you you had uh, Elijah, right? You talked about Elijah and uh, and two offerings with the priests of Baal, right? And the Baal had their offering, and Elijah had his. And look, in thinking about this, with with the Egyptian magicians, they could do a lot of interesting things, things that probably would, would seem like they're miraculous. And I was just, just thinking back at that, and you know the story, right? Where the, uh, the priests of Baal would, would jump and run, and, and they would jump on the altar and try to get something going. I just wonder if they had some... It's like now, we see people have uh, fraud and tricks, and you, know, you think they might have had some kind of a trick that would start a fire? Might have had something in there, because they, they weren't dumb. Maybe they were smart. And they had firecrackers, and they had fireworks, and that kind of stuff. And it could be that they had it set up. They, they agreed to the, the test with Elijah, because they knew they could win. They could cheat. They could cheat. So, I mean, it doesn't say it in the Bible exactly, but reading between the lines, maybe we can throw in a little bit of narrative that we can think about. I'm just wondering if that's even a greater miracle because God prevented their cheating, prevented them from... And that may be another reason that Elijah had all that water thrown on. Remember he had all barrels of water? He threw on because he knew that they knew that he could try the same thing they were trying. It's like you know, the projection thing we hear about now that you know some somebody's projecting. So well, you must be doing the same thing we are because we do it. So you must be doing. It. So they blame the the other party that you know blame doing the same thing. So Elijah had all that water thrown on it to show them that there was no trick involved because he may have known what they were trying to do. So just, just a, a thought that, that, that may be even a greater miracle from, from what we were just reading. Because people back then were not, they were, they were smart. Evil smart. Okay, the next one, the livestock. Livestock death. Fifth plague. The death of livestock was a judgment on the goddess Hathor, the god Apis, who were both depicted as cattle. As with the previous plague, God protected his people from the plague. While cattle Egyptians died, God was steadily destroying the economy of Egypt while showing the ability to protect and provide for those who obeyed him. Pharaoh even sent investigators and that's the, uh, the scripture there. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. Heart of the Pharaoh was hardened. Did not let thy people, let the people go. So a distinction again between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So God wants to make a distinction and protect his people. Just, just now we hear all these things about crop failures and harvests and such, and perhaps God will 
will protect us as he did the uh, Israelites from those kinds of things. Some of that probably is, is fear-based. Boils, the sixth plague, nasty. Sixth plague boils was a judgment against several gods over health and disease. Sekhmet, Sunu, Isis. This time the Bible says that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Clearly, these religious leaders were powerless against the God of Israel. Exodus 9, they took ashes of the furnace, stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. It became a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. Magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. And Lord, Lord hardened hardened heart of Pharaoh. So six was boiled. What was seven? Seven. Hail. Hail. Seventh plague, hail attacked Nut, the sky goddess, Osiris, the crop fertility god, and Set, the storm god. Hail was unlike any that had been seen before. It was accompanied by a fire which ran along the ground. Everything left out in the open was devastated by the hail and fire. Again, the children of Israel were miraculously protected, and no hail damaged anything in their lands. And that's Exodus 9. Eighth plague was locusts. The locusts came to eat what the hail didn't destroy. It said, uh, before God brought the next plague, he told Moses the Israelites would be able to tell their children of the things that they had seen God do in Egypt, how it showed them God's power. Eighth plague, locusts again focused on Nut. Osiris and Set, the latter crops, wheat and rye, which had survived the hail, were now devoured by the swarm of locusts. There would be no harvest in Egypt that year. So God wanted the people of Israel to see and remember, and the children to remember. Remember the acts. And by that, trying to remember the ways of God. Ninth one, darkness. Severe darkness across all the land. It's aimed at the sun god, who was symbolized by Pharaoh himself. For three days, the land of Egypt was smothered in an unearthly darkness. The homes of the Israelites had light. Darkness. The Israelites had light. Had light in their dwellings. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's remembrance. And that goes back to the tenth plague. We're all very familiar with the Passover. 
the death of the firstborn males. And we remember that. This time, children of Israel had to do something. They were instructed what to do. And by this time, they saw all these miraculous plagues and things. And by this point, I, I think I mentioned once before that if God had done this first, but the Israelites had been so willing to be obedient. Said, Why should I put this blood on the doorpost? Does that make any sense? But after seeing all these other miraculous plagues, they were probably more than eager to do it because they knew this would happen. They saw the acts of God. So they obediently complied. Of course, then we know that they went across the Red Sea. They left. The people, the scripture said, borrow, they used the word borrow, but it really means they, people ask the Egyptians for essentially recompense all these years they weren't paid. So they got gold and silver and jewels given to them because the people said, please take it and leave. Take it and leave. Leave us alone. So, of course, we know that Pharaoh said, let them go, but then he reneged, of course, sent all his chariots, and the Lord protected the people of Israel, but destroyed Egypt and all those chariots with the Red Sea. So as we go through, let's kind of remember that. We have, of course, we remember the, we have a, the first Sunday of the month. Remember the Lord will protect us. Remember the protection way back when, but the Lord is the same yesterday, day, and forever, and he will protect us of our faith in him through these, the difficult times that we're living through, seemingly, things we don't know what's going to go on. But as the children of Israel learned to have faith, and, and they weren't perfect, were they? But they, they did finally follow. So, Dick, would you, please the Lord, it's time to, time to end.